Beginning Transmission 98, Watchman, Part 4. Issues 10 through 12. File under, Watches the Watchman. このエピソードへようこそ。ブラックシティ。シュドリンク。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブラックシティ。ブ
I'm out of my... And the room was shockingly <laughs> silent. <laughs> which, which, which now has turned this podcast into the cum dumpster fire. <laughs> it's better than the dumb. orange Cheeto. Yeah, he had nothing to do with that. He, he hates my evil. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, the film critic interviews editor for Big Shiny Robot. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> God. Hi, big oh, shiny robot. Hi. This is a glowing endorsement of our I will edit that out if you want. Adam, if you have second thoughts about saying that, I will edit that out. Everyone, everyone already. <laughs> hey, Brian and Lucas, how are you? Everyone already knows what I work for. Um, I, I'm, I'm not mentioning my real job. Uh, doing shit over there. Uh, hoping to see some more movies coming up soon. Uh, also, still figuring things out with uh, Andy from the Board of Hell podcast. Hi, Hi. Andy. <laughs> the, the good, upstanding, died in the wool LDS man that he is. I'm sure he's very excited to have his name attached to Come Dumpster the Fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you change your Twitter name to Come Dumpster Fire? <laughs> we were joking about making a shirt. I might just do it where. <laughs> but but we, we had. <laughs> I was hanging so I was hanging out today with Eddie, uh, Stephen, and Chris. We went we went and saw Black Panther, which is amazing. Which is actually my recommendation at the end that of the gonna, episode. You, that was gonna be mine too. Well, fuck you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we were we, the the conversation came up about the whole come dumpster thing, and then Stephen's like, "You should also in the bottom in really small type ad, but I'm picky." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, hi, Andy. Love you to death. Uh, also, you can find me here on the Funny Books and Firewater podcast, probably also somewhere with my legs over my head, and um, <laughs> also the curator of our Grinder Scruff and Tights with a Z account. So, yes. obviously. Even the DC stole our fucking idea, by the way. Fuck them. <laughs> We're not reading any more DC books in this podcast. Fuck them. Yeah, Even though two, two of next months are, <laughs> yeah. and all of April are all DC books. Yeah, yeah. We are not making good on our promise at all. And the king of all cat allergies, we have Todd. Hey, I'm Todd. You can find me here on the Funny Books and Firewater podcast, sitting hey, next Todd. to the Cum Dumpster Fire. Hey. Better, than, better than sitting in the Cum Dumpster <laughs> Fire. Yes. You're, you're Cum Dumpster adjacent. Adjacent. And then I'm also on the English Class Hooligans, where I can actually tell family members, hey, listen to that one. Yeah, that's... that's... <laughs> That's the reason I have that podcast is so that I can actually tell my my mom can actually listen to. She actually liked that podcast a lot. She thought we were very interesting, but she yes, didn't like the background so, music, which is kind of funny. So she complained about yeah, that. Yeah, that's all right. So yeah, in English class hooligans, we're reading the classics of literature and deciding do they hold up or not. Yeah, the first two held up well. The third one, we're gonna have some words to say. Uh, what was the third one? The third one right now, we're, we haven't finished. I haven't finished reading it yet, but we're reading Tale of Two Cities, and I, <laughs> I'll give you a little preview of this. Okay, so my opinion <laughs> on Charles Dickens is, if you remember when, fuck like, him, yeah, pretty much. Um, remember when you were in school and you had to write a paper that had to be like a thousand words, and you only knew about. 250 words worth of information about it but then he kept saying also you could say this or you could also be described as this or it could also be described as that dickens is the king of that like he just adds in so much extra detail that i lose complete track of the plot like to the point where like i will read a few chapters and have to go back to wikipedia and figure out what the plot was that i missed in those chapters that i i was reading like i just it's it becomes difficult to follow that's a totally different issue cool uh anything else Todd? nope that's it okay and hey i'm brian i'm a sound designer based on southern california um i am working on a lot of cool stuff that i can't talk about on this show um but i'm also working at uh, the old lyric again this summer which i'm sure would love to be on an episode where come dumpster fire is mentioned um, <laughs> the but, come dumpster fire will be 
be there. Yeah, are you gonna come visit? Um, actually, I'm I'm starting Come Dumpster the Musical. Oh, really? I didn't. Yeah. Oh, that's the it's a, it's that's a, what we're doing. Okay. I was talking about off, off, off Broadway. Off, um, off Broadway. Musical? Soft Broadway. Yeah. So it's in the Utah. Overture to the Gum Dumpster Fire versus the Encore. No, I want to come dumpster. <laughs> I want to know what the big end of first act musical number is that really brings the house down before uh, the audition. It, it would be a song from Cats. <laughs> the whole chorus line just comes right in. Comes right in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought, I thought it was a whimsical song called Sop It Up With a Sock. Oh. <laughs> no, because I just waste, that just wastes the people juice. People juice. Uh, also, kids. <laughs> so <just laughs> people juice. Hopefully the kids listening to this have, uh, just go to, go to YouTube and uh, look up Samesies. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> it's one of the funniest videos you've ever seen. I'll, I'll show you after the, when we're off. You know, we, we always talk about, oh, I'll tell you off the air. Yes. Uh, we say the most wonderful things on air. I don't know why we ever go off <laughs> I, the air. Don't know. <laughs> like, this is not good for on the air. I'm like, what's not good for on the air now? There's no FTC here. True. Come, come, come <laughs> up to the musical yeah. written by the guys who did Silence the Musical <laughs> with a lovely song called If I Could Smell Her Cunt. <laughs> This week, uh, we are reading Watchmen. We're finishing it off finally. We are reading a very heavy book. This demeanor does not <laughs> lend credit to what we've just read. Would you read. say this is coming to a completion? Oh, my God. <sighs> Get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish you could meet my girlfriend. My girlfriend who lives in Canada. <laughs> okay. it's, uh, it's from Avenue Q. It's a, yeah. uh, since we're in musical mode, apparently. We're, apparently. we're in Come Dumpster musical. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, well, so, I'm so glad that this is uh, our 99th episode. 97. 97. Okay. Because, I mean, at this if, rate, we're not going to make it to 100. I mean, this no. was like the 100th one. I mean, this wouldn't be classy enough. Wait, is this 97? No. No, this is 98. This is 98. I'm sorry. We're 98? Yeah, because I'm like, no. I, I knew it was close. It was like it was like right around Yeah, because I'm like, we have two more, more before our 100th. So, like, we have next week 99, and then it's 100 after that. So, I, like, oh, so it's a smart episode. I can count. Yeah. I attended the first grade. Did you? Mm. Uh, yes. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> I need a drink. I think we all need a drink. And so, of course, we're going to start with our drinking game rules. And now for sports. Listen up, sports fans. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. Remember, it's only a game. And it's not one at that. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. Maya, what is your drinking game rule? Uh, mine is called The Ends Justify the Means. Uh, basically, anytime, well, since you haven't gotten and read the book yet, I don't want to spoil it, but anytime the villain tries to justify his actions and, and uh, basically say that it's a good thing, Take a drink. Uh, Mr. Adam, what is your drinking game rule? Uh, mine is called What's That in the Background? Uh, basically, anytime that the there's a bunch of action going on behind the scenes, uh, over <laughs> overlaying like the, the actual conversation, like especially during like when they're at the newsstand and there's like there's fights going on behind them, uh, take a drink because you're supposed to be trying to understand the story and also pay attention to what's going on in the background. Which I will say through this entire book, the trying to follow what is going on in the story and also read the uh, the pirate ship story confuses me pretty frequently. Mine I'm going to call, I call my naughty naughty, but it's spelled with a K. Uh, this is every time a knot is mentioned. So either the top knot gang or the knot of, there's some theoretical knot that's tied that 
you cut with the sword that um, the villain talks about a few amount of times. But every time a knot comes up, uh, K-N-O-T, uh, take a drink. Mm-hmm. And uh, Todd, what is yours? Drink, fucker. There's a smiley face on every damn page. Uh, you're returning. <laughs> yes, because it's just more impressive than ever. Absolutely. Do we have any forewarnings? I mean, we're it's at the end of the book. I mean, everyone should know mm-hmm. what's up at this point in time, I'm guessing. I don't know if we have to warn anybody of anything. Just remember the protagonist is Rorschach. Is he, though? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. his journal. I guess that's a valid point. Yeah. Protagonist of Watchmen is Rorschach. I, you know, okay. I've thought about this one. It is. <laughs> well, and, uh, and I can back you up, too, but we'll wait till we get to that part of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, when we come back, we will spoil the living crap out of it. So this is your point in time to uh, read the book. Uh, you know, finish it all off if you've read so far, or if not, if you're just... For some reason, just listening to this issue, we're going to spoil it. And there's stuff that's been covered in last uh, issues that you will not know or whatever. I don't know. I don't know why you don't. You jump into part this four. This wasn't the only thing that was finished off today. So Yes. Adam has been drinking <laughs> and is a little sexually explicit today, kids. I am, yes. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> I'm here enjoying some Buffalo Trace today. Ooh, nice. I like Buffalo Trace. That's good stuff. It is tasty, actually. It is. Uh, the small sip I took was delicious. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to take a small sip of yours, but... I don't think so. No, I, really? I, it, it's very reminiscent of the of the the Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes, it, it is yeah. actually. My introduction to Buffalo Trace was I had a friend who was having a whiskey and blues party because he's a musician and was a bunch of musicians got over and they kind of hung out and played blues. And we texted a bartender friend of ours who works at a very famous whiskey bar. I said like, we need recommendations of good whiskey that won't break the bank. And Buffalo Trace was one of the recommendations that he gave us. The other one was uh, Four Roses, were two really good solid whiskeys that if you take those to a party, people think you know your shit, but they're not ridiculously expensive so there you go there's a, mm-hmm. a good life lesson for y'all so anyway cool yes we'll be back and we'll spoil the little bit of shit out of this so if you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now press pause go ahead we'll wait yeah let's do it okay so we're back uh, we're going to jump into uh, chapter 10, also known as Two Riders Were Approaching, a biblical reference for y'all kids. We're at some sort of secret military base, and they're tracking the incoming president. The president shows up. They're at DEFCON 1. Someone keeps trying to tell them, hey, we should uh, jump in and bomb them before they bomb us. He says, no, we just have to sit here and wait. And, you know, he has the uh, a nuclear football, as it's also referred to. I don't think it actually looks like a football, but although in this book it does. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, that's sort of the rumored device that the president has that he can launch nuclear the warfare from anywhere he is it always travels with him um and so uh they decide they're just going to kind of wait uh president or not uh, rorschach and uh the night owl are hidden in the night owls what oh archie and they're hiding under the water and uh they're getting a little stir crazy they got some sleep they, rorschach wants to go get his stuff and he wants to go do some investigation they break back into uh the house of rorschach's uh landlord to get his spare costume and his spare journal Uh, What the police got a hold of was actually just his notes, the final journal he actually has with him now. Uh, Then you go to Ozymandias' base in the um, Antarctic, and he's watching like a lot of TV at the same time and and sort of looking for trends overall in in television and things like that, and that kind of gives him a prediction of what's about to happen in the world. Uh, So eventually, we go back to Night Owl and Rorschach. They end up leaving uh, the water again, and he said they're going to go sort of bust up some criminals and try to get an idea as to who tried to put a hit on Ozymandias uh, in their search to try to find the Cape Killers and all that kind of stuff. You start seeing um, growing concern and violence at the newspaper stand. 
uh, as uh, the book of the um, pirates. Uh, what's the name of that book again? The Dark Freighter. Really dark and really creepy and. It's a pretty gruesome book, to be honest with you. If that book was published on its own, it's pretty gruesome. Anyway, so Rorschach and Night Owl are at a bar. They end up busting some heads, and they get a name, and they find out that the hit was put on by uh, Ozymandias uh, by the Pyramid Corporation. So he said they're going to go look into that shipping group. Um, so then you have uh, the ship that has the writer that we've been missing and the director or and the artist we've been missing. Um, a lot of the missing names are you've, of people who have gone and disappeared, um, rock bands and things like that. Um, they are um, on the ship. Our hero, who uh, is uh, the the writer of the Black Freighter, he's about to get it on in the basement, and he pulls over a uh, blanket and realizes that there's a bomb there, and boom, it goes off, and they all go bye bye. So all these people who've been missing the entire time have disappeared. You will eventually find out what they were doing and why they were there. Uh, Night Owl and the uh, and Rorschach they break into Ozymandias's office. They do a little decoding. Ozymandias has the most obvious of uh, passwords, so they break in, they find out Osmandius actually owns the uh, Pyramid Corporation, he put the hit out on himself. Uh, we go back, we're watching the Dark Freighter, and there's an urgent package that is being delivered to the uh, the weird, uh, what is the name of that newspaper? The New Frontiersman? Mm-hmm. It is uh, Rorschach's journal, it uh, gets tossed on the pile of, you know, creepers and crazies that they don't pay attention to. Uh, Rorschach and Night Owl are on their way to the Arctic, their ship runs out of juice. Antarctic, thank you. Antarctic. Their ship runs out of whatever mojo that it needs, and they end up sort of crashing. And uh, we end the chapter with Osmandius looking at his TV, and he is uh, seeing that they are approaching on these weird sort of floating hover bikes, which kind of look a little bit like... Um, the segways? Segways, yes. So, uh, so the final three or four pages, which is, is basically notes and advertisements and stuff like that for companies and things like that that Osmandius's company is dealing with. And thus ends chapter 10. Anybody have any thoughts on that so far? I was just going to say, earlier you mentioned the two riders were approaching. That's also from All Along the Watchtower, which that last... Mm-hmm. If you, the very last panel there has a quote from All Along the Watchtower. Did Bob Dylan write All Along the Watchtower? He did. Yes, he, he, did. did. Mm-hmm. he did the original, yep. and then Hendrix covered it, and Bob Dylan's uh-huh. like, that version is better than mine. I like I'm, it. I'm only familiar with the, the Hendrix version, so okay. That's that makes what sense. most people are familiar yep. with. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. I've been enlightened. To be honest with you, it's not often I get schooled on 60s rock and roll. It's <laughs> really uncommon, because I know a lot about it. Todd will attest to this. This is true. Uh, I know <laughs> For some reason, I know shit tons about 60s rock, and I don't know why that is. So uh, we will probably go back and discuss all these things in detail later, but we're going to get through all the uh, mm-hmm. reviews so far. Uh, so we jump to chapter 11, and the quote at the bottom of the title of the chapter is, Look on my works, ye mighty. And this takes place, we start out at the uh, Antarctic base of Ozymandias. He's watching TV. You see he has sort of this... Um, he's watching... Uh, Rorschach and Night Owl approach. Um, he goes and he invites uh, a few people. He kind of goes. He goes and invites a few people to join him for drinks in his. He has a sort of terrarium thing where he has all these exotic plants and stuff like that. This lovely little Garden of Eden inside of Antarctica. Um, and as he tells him basically his entire past and his uh, essentially, uh, you know, how he became who he was, he also slowly poisons these guys and kills them all off, um, which is basically the big chunk of that chapter so and then at the end after he poisons them he opens up the doors uh so that the antarctic comes in and freezes his entire little garden in there like you do uh, so yeah. like you do so uh we're now you know it's the black freighter is being read and then in the background um 
or while he's reading the Black Freighter, uh, the woman who uh, is the wife of the psychologist from the episode with Rorschach, she comes looking for her husband at the newsstand. Um, we flash back to Osmandius's base where Rorschach and Night Owl are find their way in and start looking around. Uh, they find Osmandius having uh, dinner and they get into a fight with Osmandius and he uh, you know, beats him up a little bit and then says, now what can I do for you? And he starts to reveal his secret plan. Um, and we cut back to, there's a bunch of people fighting in the background basically is what's going on. So violence is sort of overcoming the city and things are going on that way. And they're lesbians. Mm-hmm. Well, there are lesbians, and then there are, there are lesbians fighting in the background, and then there's the psychologist is uh, uh, talking with his wife, and they're try- she's trying to get back with him, but they're also kind of fighting. That's sort of the main two big fights. Uh, the lesbians are fighting all in the background throughout this entire thing, as Os- and so we kind of cut back and forth between this fight and then Osmandius sort of telling everyone that like basically what happened is is that he had this uh, this idea, this plan to sort of make humanity better by killing off a large portion of it and making people afraid of something bigger than themselves and uh because of his work for the government the uh comedian comedian had kind of become aware of what was going on and so therefore the comedian had to die and so they are like a kid he's they're sitting there going well we're gonna have to stop you and he says well why would i tell you this i've already done this 30 minutes ago um and so basically oh no sorry 35 minutes ago so he basically told them that he uh, set out this plan to sort of kill off half of New York, and then you see uh, these people fighting, and all of a sudden there's a white light. And then uh, it ends with a quote from Osmandius, and then you also have like a little news article from Osmandius at the end of that chapter. Uh, and then an advertisement for Nostalgia, his uh, perfume there at the end as well. Uh, anybody have anything I missed there? No, you got that one, Will. We start out chapter 12 with uh, lots of people dead all over the place and some big tentacles all over the place. It's called A Stronger World. Now, what I might have skipped over in the last chapter that we become aware of is part of the reason why Ozymandias had taken the artist and the and the uh, writer and the rock star is he basically created a fake alien invasion to basically scare humanity into uniting was his big game plan. So he killed off half of the world for, uh, or at least half of New York, for the betterment of the entire world and basically put in a, base, a fake alien creature there to sort of um, and that was basically what the, the people who were on the boat were doing and then they of course had to be blown up so they wouldn't reveal what was actually going on uh, so you see New York and it's destroyed and you see all these tentacles and all this sort of stuff so at that point in time we have uh, uh, Blue Dong and uh, Silk Spectre show mm-hmm. up um, as they do and yeah. uh, as they do and so they're looking around and they decide they need to go do stuff so um, they teleport out and they're about to go back to get Osmandius. Um, and so Blue Dong is realizing that Osmandius, part of the way he's not able to see what's going on with Osmandius, is Osmandius has come up with a way of sort of reversing tachyons, which sort of confuses him and makes things happen in a strange way. And that's why he was able to hide what he was doing away from Blue Dong, who can see the future and see everything. Um, so Osmandius lures uh, Blue Dong into uh, like sort of this a li- weird little area and he zaps him and his beloved Lynx cat. Thing, um, to death. It's named what? the Baboostus. Um, so <laughs> it sort of looks like a lion cat. So anyway, Osmandius uh, blasts them and Silk Spectre shoots him with a gun. Uh, he ends up catching the bullet, which he claimed he could do, but you know, who knows what else. Then, of course, uh, Dr. Manhattan, Blue Dong, he comes back bigger and badder than ever, and he, you know, gets, uh, he's, 
he's he's disappointed. It's very I'm very disappointed. Like a giant saying it's point. It's very paternal sort of thing. Um, Ozymandias explains to Doctor Manhattan how he had done this for the greater good, and this was the better way of doing stuff. Um, and uh, then uh, Silk Spectre and Night Owl kind of disappear, and they get some hanky panky on. Uh, Rorschach uh, goes out. Uh, he's going back to America, try to you know tell the people and let them know what happened, and uh, he's going to reveal the whole plan. Dr. Manhattan deciding that it's actually for the greater good as well. He zaps Rorschach, and Rorschach blows up and dies. So then you see Blue Dong, he comes in, and he sees that um, the naked bodies of Silk Spectre and um, Night Owl, they just hooked up, and he actually finally smiles. So Blue Dong walks across the water in a very obvious Jesus uh, sort of thing, and he walks you know, over to Ozymandias, and they start discussing their plans and Osmandius, uh, you know, sort of what he, uh, he says nothing ever ends. And then he gets, so I kind of got the impression, correct me if I'm wrong, that Osmandius was then killed by, um, like, no. It kinda, no? Nope. Okay. Never mind. So he doesn't die. But so they sort of say nothing sort of other ends that comes on. So then we go. Uh, so that was in uh, November. We jump to Christmas where um, Silk Spectre and Night Owl have taken on Hollis's name. Um, and cut their hair and change their looks, and they've gone to visit uh, the original Silk Spectre. Uh, what's her first name? I'm blanking Sally. on that. Sally. Yes, the two Silk Spectres, the Sally versus, and I'm blanking, Lori. the two names always give to me. Lori. Anyway, Lori, yeah. So Lori comes to visit her mom, Sally. There we go, we got that. And says, you know, like, hey, we're going to do this or whatever. Um, she says that she knows her mom, like, her, who her real dad was, and her mom kind of has a is a heartfelt kiss to the uh, picture of the comedian. And then you sort of see, um, you know, New York City is kind of at peace again. And then, of course, uh, they're looking for something for the New Republic to publish. And the the kid who has been sort of... The Frontiersman. The Frontiersman. What did I call it? The New Republic. New Republic. That's Star Wars. Oh, sorry. New Frontiersman. I think there actually is a, a actual real magazine called The New Republic as well, actually. But uh, The New Frontiersman is looking for something to fill an article, and uh, the, the kid who works there is given responsibility, doesn't care what it is, and he starts going through the pile of crazies, and you see he's about to discover Rorschach's journal, so you were led to believe that people are eventually about to find out what really happened, and peace will not last for long. <clears throat> End of Watchmen. Yay! Yo! Okay, well, so what are people's thoughts? Very open-ended question there. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Well, I almost, I think we need to go back at issue at a time and then okay. start talking about that. Okay, well then what are your thoughts starting with uh, issue 10? Our, you know, our trying to uncover the plot of who was out to kill everybody. I, I What I really liked about Watchmen is, obviously I read this for the very first time way back before I started reviewing movies and mm-hmm. doing everything else. Mm-hmm. If you did it right before the movie came out, it'd be about 10 years ago. Yeah, so about 10 years ago. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, I'd still, I'd seen enough movies and was uh, well-versed enough to understand, you know, to, to find plot twists and see how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, like when uh, The Sixth Sense came out, the big thing was that Oh, there's a big twist ending, and I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, and I hadn't seen. It. He's like, I was like, oh, so he's dead, right? And he's like, oh, you saw it. I'm like, no, I just guessed. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah, I'm really good about getting the twist endings and, and plot twists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember being very, very pleasantly surprised to find out that Osmandius was the like. I guess I didn't really call him a bad guy because he he did bad things, but for the greater good kind of thing, which plays into Maya's drinking game. He uh-huh. was the antagonist. He was the antagonist. Antagonist is a great word for him. Uh-huh. Um, that was really fun for me to discover because that was for me very unexpected. Like you know, as much as like he said, yeah, the whole reason why I had 
someone tried to kill me and I fed him the cyanide pill and everything else was because he knew it would lead Rorschach off the trail. Mm-hmm. And it did a wonderful job of also taking the readers and doing the same thing with them because when I came up, I was like, oh, fuck, but that's brilliant. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, you just, I just didn't see it coming. And maybe, maybe I'm alone in this. But the fun thing, too, is that as much as he is a main character, for the first nine issues, he very much is a background character. Like, he's only mentioned once twice, you meet him once or twice, and you just kind of forget about him. That sort of bothers me in general when that's done, though, when you have a character who's there, but then suddenly becomes the villain, but they haven't used him very much. Like, it's sort of, and I, and I'm, I think its sense has become a trope. I think at this time, when this originally came out, it may not have been such. But like now it feels like a trope of like, oh, that guy that showed up for about five minutes at the beginning of the movie, he ends up being the killer. You know what I mean? But yeah, I get what you're saying though. But yeah, but that is, that is very true. But like you said, we have to look back and realize when this came out, when this yeah. happened, because uh, the movie Valerian came out, which is based on a very, very old comic. And while I, had, I did have some issues with the movie, some of the complaints I heard was like, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. because it fucking edited it in this comic book back in the 70s. Like, yeah. everything you got from Blade Runner to Ghost in the Shell to Star, Star Wars, Wars to yeah. everything came, it was stemmed from this original idea. Yeah. So to look at this new movie now or this new or this book or whatever you want to talk about and say, oh, it's being derivative, it's like, no, everything else came from that. Like, you have to go back and understand the time, place, and the period when it was written and actually introduced into pop culture so well and my issue this is a total side note but my issue with that movie in particular um was that the two main characters who you're supposed to believe in love have no chemistry whatsoever they're the most wooden fucking people in the world and i'm like i don't buy that these people are in love i don't buy that anyone would ever love either one of them and like there's other great things in that film that i think are brilliant ideas and concepts but uh that was like my biggest beef with that entire movie was like just the casting really uh maya what are your thoughts uh i like this issue just because it was kind of like you did get the detective part of rorschach and night owl like working together which you had heard of you'd heard them kind of briefly talk about mm-hmm. even when the when the crime buster split up like they were partners mm-hmm. and and i like the like them poking around ozymandias's office and figuring it out and then finally going oh shit and even even when they figure it out like they're like i think think it's him but not sure let's go figure mm-hmm. it out let's go talk to him mm-hmm. one of the parts i really enjoy on page six is you've got rorschach who's been sprung from prison but he needs to get his outfit back so he's got a backup trench coat and face and he goes grabs it and he sees the landlady and the landlady previously when he went to prison says oh this guy propositioned me oh, yeah. trying to have sex with me and he's like you said these things they weren't true it's like you are a harlot and she's like, please don't. The kids don't know. And you see him pause for a moment. Yeah. He looks at her and basically goes, moving on. Yeah. So even Rorschach looks at the children and has pity enough for the children to go. Well, and if she is a horror, she, those kids are basically in the same position he was. You know what I mean? Like those kids. Yeah, that's are him. right. Those kids are him. And he has this great moment of humanity. So he's like, I was. And it's like a bit of him not Rorschach anymore. Yeah. Some of Kovacs is coming back. And, and, and her her name and his mother's name were both Marsha. Yeah. Martha. 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 Thank you. Oh, God, really? You're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Thank you, CD. Well, while, we're on, while we're on that page, I like the next page, because mm-hmm. when Ozzy is getting to his base in the in Antarctica, mm-hmm. it almost makes me think of like the third act of a James Bond movie when the villain is getting to his lair. I was oh, thinking that too, yeah. <laughs> an amazing lair. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's I a very James Bond villainy lair for sure. Like just the like the shot of the plane landing with his two servants there with his giant evil cat. And I, I love that this is his like place where he can relax and be himself. And it's where he can relax and be himself. He dresses back up again in his costume. Oh yeah. So he has ditched his uh, pinstripe suit. Yeah. And he's now back into his uh, Ozymandias costume. Mm-hmm. So who he really is, and he's not so much the Adrian Beat person, but in his relaxing mode of he doesn't have the headdress on but the rest yeah. of it he's just which, kind of rocking away which leads into the next issue where he tells his story and about the mm-hmm. you know how when his parents died left him all this money and he decided like hey i need to kind of do my own things i idolize alexander the great i want to go follow in his footsteps and go to egypt and do the you know take hashish and see these visions and you know like we said before this is a character that we only knew for five seconds because he was very Briefly. Briefly in it. But his backstory is so richly brought out in this, and it's cool because even though it is a bunch of exposition and technically a bunch of download, because now it's like, okay, here's who I am, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing, this is this, Mm -hmm. it was still done in such an engaging and fun way that you're brought in, like, you're interested to know, okay, so where did he come from? How did this happen? Like, you know, yeah, of course he's the smartest man on earth, but how did he get where he is now? Why? And and what's really cool is that as he's doing all this, he's laying the seeds and explaining why he created this monster that's going to blow up in New York and kill millions of people to, quote, you know, basically save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting his backstory as well as his motivation through all those pages, and it's being told piece by piece, and there's, there's a lot of exposition, but then it flashes back and forth, and you see things happen, and they, uh, you know, give hats off to Alan Moore for doing a really good job of developing this character and making him three-dimensional in pretty much the only really book he's in. So. Yeah, one issue. So one sure. issue, yeah. The other um, moment I really enjoy in this issue has to be, though, basically, is uh, Rorschach is just being the asshole that he is and demanding, and Night Owl goes, you know, it's really hard to be your friend sometimes, and even Rorschach pauses and you go, you know, you are a good friend, and thank you, I know sometimes it's hard. <laughs> and just that simple recognition of going yeah you're there you're still there and I recognize it's yeah it's not an easy thing and yet you're still there and it's a moment of appreciation and so the humanity of Rorschach as much as anything else is starting to shine through again so you wonder how much did that psychologist actually get to him Mm -hmm. or not so and it's or is it the psychologist or is it just that he he's not as alone as much as he used to be you know what I mean yeah it could be because he was on his own for quite a while, and that could have made him less human. And having just a friend mm-hmm. there again, I think, is probably a humaning factor on him. So it's somewhere else, though. Yeah, it is definitely a humaning factor. And the, um, yeah, but for um, Chapter 10, though, it's really, it's Rorschach and Night Owl. I mean, it's the Batman and Robin type of a buddy thing mm-hmm. coming back through. And then you've got the um, a very uh, sympathetic antagonist, and it's going, oh, this is just a flat villain so it's not a marvel villain issue here it's uh-huh. an amazing yeah and i love the fact that uh, brian you mentioned that he, or uh, todd that he's an antagonist he's not really a villain because mm-hmm. he, he's doing all this for the greater good to unite humanity and and keep world war three and everything from happening mm-hmm. which goes to think like you know where where do you draw the line as far as what is do, what is the greater good? Do the ends justify the means? Exactly, which goes yeah. into Maya's drinking game. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, how many 
is it what price is worth to be paid to save billions mm-hmm. at the cost of you know, in this yeah, in New York millions mm-hmm. uh, and you know you look at uh, um, just oh what there's a movie or a book here was called I, I'm blanking right now uh, where it was like going to wipe out like 90% of humanity but it was going to eventually save the human race because of overpopulation of global warming and everything mm-hmm. else where do you draw that line that says, okay, you're a savior or a monster? Uh-huh. And it's whether or not you win. That's pretty right. much, yeah. Or, right, or, they, they, yeah, or yeah. as they show here, whether or not anyone knows. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's the big exactly. thing. That was almost Os- Osmandius' greatest regret was that I'm doing all this amazing stuff. And like he's like, he even mentions, like, I felt every death. I've no, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm seeing what's happening. I'm mm-hmm. taking this responsibility on my shoulders for the horrible thing I did. Mm-hmm. And no one is ever going to know. Well, possibly we don't know with Vortex Journal being at the at Fox yeah. News. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's ever going to know the sacrifice I made to take this burden on myself. Yeah. And that's and again that that's why he's a great antagonist because he's not he did it all out of the for the right reasons, but we could argue that it was done the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Sure. I will say the other um, on the supplementary section. The, um, he's referencing a role-playing game called The Ziggurat of Death. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic name. <laughs> you want to play that game? I would play The Ziggurat of Death. This, uh, that should be a game somewhere. That really is. The Ziggurat of Death. With these um, last three episode, episodes, issues, Episure. Episure. Episode, issues um, Alan Morin is really um, proving and earning all the cred he deserves for this book. Uh, of all the different things being thrust in the air and stuff coming to fruition and paying off is really quite fantastic. I only have so. one little beef with some of this section, and it is a yeah. Alan Moore trope that some, okay. somewhere down the line in every Alan Moore book, you have to go get high to be able to see the the truth of humanity, which Osmandius does. Like it happens in every fucking one of his books that someone takes drugs. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, I'm like, really? Like it's it's sort of like you're beating a dead horse at this point in time, man. Like it's like in every fucking book that he does. Like, oh, yeah. Well, it's probably because he's high all the time. Well, so. I I sure that. And that's, I mean, that's his deal. But it's just one of those things where it's like, it just shows up every damn time. So. Well, and, and the wizards in his beard smoke pot. Of course. So. Yes. I need wizards in my beard. Don't we all? I just want, I just want my beard back again. I can't have one at work. No. You can't have one at work? No. no. Oh, I'm sorry. You've got to be a clean-shaven, sexy beast every day. I do. Oh. You know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Um, <laughs> so I, I think... <laughs> I think it's about time to talk about drinks. Um, okay, I think it's a perfect time. Yeah, well, 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 let's talk about drinks. Behold, Mr. we finally fulfill the second half of our Mr. title Boo. and make with the fire Mr. water. Alcoholics transform. Adam, what's your cocktail? So my drink is called the octopus because. I don't know what to name that that weird guest creature yeah, that gotcha. hit New York. Um, so you take a shot of Bacardi 151, a shot of orange juice, and a shot of passion fruit nectar, like that Kern's nectar you can get at the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, you add it to a snifter, you stir it, and you fill the uh, snifter with crushed ice, and then you... Uh, actually, no. Before you do that, you add uh, two dashes of bitters. You mix it, and then you fill with crushed ice, and you top with club soda. Nice. Uh, Todd, what is your cocktail? Mine is actually called the Gordian Knot. Spell um, that for me because yeah. I'm not going to spell it right. N a u g h t. Yes. Naughty. 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 Please make that rough. Yes. <laughs> it's um two ounces of coffee liqueur, um two ounces sorry an ounce and a half of um creme de cacao, 
and a half ounce of half and half. You pour all of that into a shaker, shake the shit out of it that's been filled with ice, strain it into a lowball glass with ice, and you enjoy it. It's a fancy, pantsy white Russian. Yeah, kind of. So, but it's not. Yeah. Fancy. Fancy. Uh, Mr. Maya, mm-hmm. what is your cocktail? Uh, I found it. It's called Purple Rain, but I'm renaming it to Ozymandias's Cake. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a process here. Um, but it recommends that you pre-chill your vodka mm-hmm. in the freezer and a large 9-ounce wine glass as well, also in the freezer. You add about 4 to 6 ice cubes into the wine glass, and then you add in 45 milliliters of uh, vodka, uh, it recommends Smirnoff, uh, 20 milliliters of sour raspberry liqueur, 20 milliliters of blue curacao, 5 milliliters of lime cordial, 180 milliliters of cranberry juice cocktail, and stir or shake gently and serve. Nice. Um, and so mine is called, because I'm out here and I've had this drink before, and I'm basing this, it feels like a little bit of a stretch, but I feel like I need to defend this, uh, because part of, well, a big portion of issue 10 takes place underwater and in the river. I'm calling, I'm doing the LA River Water, which is a drink out here. It's basically, it's, it's the West Coast version of uh, a Long Island iced tea. Uh, it's a little bit sweeter. So it is half ounce of vodka, half ounce of gin, half ounce of light rum, half ounce of triple sec, half ounce of blue caracao, half ounce of raspberry liqueur and sweet and sour mix. Pour it all into a glass with ice and you fill with a sweet and sour mix. Uh, pretty simple, straightforward. Um, but yeah, it's it's the West Coast version of it. I'm surprised you didn't. You said ooh to that, Adam. That seems like your kind of drink. No, he said ooh to oh, LA River Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah LA River yeah, Water. No, that, that is the, the disgusting thought of it. So, but uh, yeah, that that was mm. that was inspired by all the water that are underneath. So, okay, did we get much into the last issue? No, not much. Actually, before we go mm-hmm. into issue twelve, on issue eleven, I've got some notes here on um, this book is titled Watchmen, and where does the title actually come mm-hmm. from? Because, I mean, the group they joined up were the Crime Busters. Yeah. And, you know, for two blokes out of Britain, he did um, some pretty cool referencing. So initially, Kennedy in Dallas, when he got shot, he was supposed to give a speech on the um, preparedness of the military and the strength of it and whatnot. And they mentioned a reference to that speech in, in this book, too. Right. But it a bit more expanded here. So they only have a really short line. But this, I think this is worth um, reading here just this part. It says... I will not try to do it in a Kennedy oh, accent. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. will never be used in pursuit of aggressive ambitions. They will always be used in pursuit of peace. They will never be used to promote provocations. They will always be used to promote the peaceful settlement of disputes. We, in this country, in this generation, are, by destiny rather than by choice, the watchmen on the walls of world freedom. We ask, therefore, we may be worthy of our power and responsibility that we may exercise our strength with wisdom and restraint, and that we may achieve in our time and for all time the ancient vision of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This must always be our goal, and the righteousness of our cause must always underline our strength. For it was written long ago, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And that really sums up the idea of this whole book, is you've got a few people that by destiny that they're and that it's occurring and you've got Ozymandias with all the strength and knowledge of the world Mm -hmm. and he's supposed to be practicing restraint and yet he just lets everything off he's like you know I think I can do it but he's completely unrestrained and this is where he is wrong Mm -hmm. 
as much as everything else. Um, other people says, "Oh, look, you're. I think you might be right, but he is wrong." Mm-hmm. And that's where this is coming from. And Alan Moore just lifting apart, finding a speech of a president that never gave it. Mm-hmm. And this whole book series is off of that is profound and phenomenal. Oh. It's amazing. But see, I don't. I, I go back and forth in this as far as whether or not he was wrong. Who I mean, Ozymandias? Yeah. Ozymandias. Because he, here, okay. here's the thing: is is that during when he's mm-hmm. discussing his backstory and like where he, you know his journey he went on mm-hmm. was that he saw that mankind was heading towards a precipice they couldn't come back from, which was basically thermonuclear war that would destroy the world and end us as a human race. Which goes back to my original question was, where is the line? I mean, if you if you had this decision to make, like he did, where we can kill millions of people to save billions... Would you kill a child to save a thousand people? Would you go back in, in, in history and would you kill Hitler as a child? Yeah. Because I would not. The, the question becomes, okay, so he's going to go up and come Hitler, kill millions of people. But at the same time, when you go back in time, he's this little six-year-old kid who's you know painting a, a happy little tree like Bob Ross. He's and an I, innocent. So yeah. Also, the world post-World War II was better with the formation of like NATO and... The UN and everything the, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you could save the lives of six over, like, I mean, it was just six million people in the Holocaust, not to mention the millions of people who lost their lives just in World War II in general, like the mm-hmm. Russians and the U.S. and the U.K. and everyone else. And again, it, it, I, I, one of my favorite classes I ever took in college was philosophy, because we brought up, like, the mm-hmm. that question, or there was it's, one, like... It's like what Spock asks, uh, or says, the needs of the few, many outweigh the needs of the few. Exactly. But do, do they? But do they? And so... So you mentioned, okay, he was wrong, but was he wrong? And then we, we, we can honestly probably sit here for the next three days diving deep into philosophy to discuss mm-hmm. whether or not he was right or wrong. And then maybe that's for something, you know, our, our, our listeners, you're more than welcome on our Facebook or Twitter pages to say, like, you know, if you were in Ozymandias' shoes, would you have made the same decision? Knowing everything you do, knowing that there's only one outcome if you don't do this. So it's interesting here. This book was written in the 80s at the height of the Cold War. And we're here in this deadly game between the U.S. and Russia uh-huh. of is thermonuclear war absolutely looming? And this is one a fictional perspective is how do we get out of this situation? Uh-huh. The wall has not fallen. Gorbachev is still in power. And Reagan is doing his crazy thing of let's outspend them and let's just amp up the arms. We're in the midst of the massive arms race of who has more of the biggest uh-huh. guns. And we broke Russia because... We made more than they could. Yeah, because it was a global dick measuring contest. Right. And that's why it sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but his, but his hands are small. We've seen them. <laughs> yes. And so we don't know how it ends. So that was part of like fears of where does this end? And this is where it's coming out. And for us in particular, I mean, we survived the 80s and into the 90s and the wall came down. And though the doomsday clock is still not that far away, it is something that has receded and this was his one solution is like oh look we can get to a utopia but a utopia is just as much of a place of idealism as a place that can never be Mm -hmm. and it's a really play on both things there and so he was wrong in thinking he can force the utopia but see we never we 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 from all we can tell though is that there maybe it was going that way because the very last few pages of the of the whole book is silk specter and and uh, Night Owl, like, you know, living mm-hmm. life and this and that, and obviously he didn't kill them. You know, nope. he, he trusted them enough and Dr. Manhattan and to 
to keep it secret and make sure that it wouldn't be taken care of. But then we we don't know because it seems like things are going well. well like the humanity is united for the first time ever. But that could have blown to shit is the moment that Fox News publishes Rorschach's Rorschach Journal. Journal. That's well, right. And the truth, really, the truth shall set you free. And the truth of this utopia is a lie. Uh-huh. But most of life is based on a lie, though. Sure. I look at religion. Sure. And look what's that come <laughs> out of. Okay. Okay. Issue, Issue 12. 12. So the big ending. All right. Death and destruction mm-hmm. and, you know... Uh, so I guess uh, one place to start out on, maybe this is the wrong place to start on, but one place to start on, is do you think that if Rorschach's journal gets published, what do you think the outcome is after this book happens? I think they would be able to explain it away. Because like they, he could say, like, okay, yeah, so this was going on, but mm-hmm. no one, I mean, Rorschach drops it off before they find out what he's really planning to do. Mm-hmm. So his grand scheme of making the Cthulhu monster show up and blow up in New York happens after Rorschach drops it off. So I really think that he would, again, being the smartest man alive, he had to have some kind of contingency plan in case someone did find out that wouldn't make it so it would still work out. So, I mean, he could he, he could definitely spin it and be like, oh, well, it's this, you know, this far-right news magazine. Like, you look what they're always uh-huh. saying. They're always... Or, the way we kind of think about Fox News now. Or, or it came from this psychopath's journal. Mm-hmm. Who escaped prison and you know isn't well or I mean, around to be the seen. other easy one is is can you say it's valid you know what I mean like is he not can you not say that you know Rorschach is delusional or can you say that this may not even be really his mm-hmm. journal or it was sure. something that was made up or yeah. you know that's you know it's and where is he now to show up and defend his views I mean, now, yeah where is he like he's he, and no one knows he's dead but maybe he's oh he can't show up and actually say oh yeah this is what I I said yeah. so. You you have asked a character witness to actually stand up for. Or you could also you could always say that well he died in the the uh, the prison never got out of it because really who really saw him after that you know what I mean so if you assume that Silk Spectre and Night Owl are going to keep the secret anyway you could always just say well he never they tried to rescue him he never got out of the prison whatever they're saying you know whatever this book says is completely fictitious anyway you know what I mean because really all that would probably be in there after the prison escape would probably just be one chapter maybe one entry you know of him on the on the uh, on the ship underwater that's about it so you know yeah there's, there's, there's a lot of ways you could argue that away i guess that's a valid point i guess i mean i also think that this book has a far more pessimistic view and i think that it it, it, it views it uh, i would say if alan moore were to write a sequel i think that the world would fall apart again is my thought and and the heroes would be called back to action in some way or another would be my suspicion but that's just my two cents on it. It's, it's, it's also hard coming up with a theory, having seen just kind of... Because if, if you've read Doomsday Clock in the first issue, you kind of see what's happened oh, gotcha. beyond this. And uh, and what what that journal does. Mm-hmm. Oh, and see, I haven't read those yet. I have those issues. Literally, most of the time we've been reading this book, I've had those issues sitting in front of me right behind my computer screen, and I have not cracked them yet. I have not had enough time. Well, now, now, now that we're done... That's kind of what I was them. thinking anyways. I was thinking kind of wait till it's finished. Mm-hmm. So... But uh, you know, you know, also argue it's not Alan Moore, whatever. If if you don't like that they're doing a sequel, that's fine. Just that's fine. You have Watchmen. You don't need mm-hmm. to worry about anything else. You can. You have just worry about. You your have Watchmen. your own stories you can deal with and all sorts of stuff. But there is definitely uh, something does come of the okay. journal. Okay. Okay. 
So what I love here in issue 12, it's really uh, reminiscent from Death of Superman for me, is these full-page splash yeah, pages. Yeah, of destruction. Several pages in a row. Gory and gorgeous at the same time. They are, and then how it's juxtaposed. I mean, you see these uh, pale horse concert coming and on people's jackets and everything else, and then there you are at Madison Square Gardens, and it's as like, here we are in concert. It says, pale horse and crystal knocked. So he says, death comes on a pale horse, and in the midst of all this destruction, and then the movie of The Day the Earth Stood Mm -hmm. Still is going over as well. And everything that has just been seeded and planted and planned, and sometimes you read things like, oh, look at that happy little accident. And you're like, there's no happy little accident with the way a lot of these are set up. Well, I know we've already discussed, like, the Alan Moore's quote-unquote script for, like, one panel. It was like, that. Mm -hmm. It's And Even though, and we read another he has a Promethean cap company mm-hmm. and he's got the Promethean books later on I mean there's several themes here that he likes to visit again and again between the Cthulhu monster Promethean cab company people well, dying and just to jump on your uh, mm-hmm. death of Superman thing um, and I know, know we're talking about Watchmen but not and not Doomsday Clock but mm-hmm. the Doomsday Clock starts off November 22nd 1992 mm-hmm. Which is when the Death of Superman issue came out. Hmm, right there. So it's, huh. it's dealing with, you know, the death of the Superman, the death of the mm-hmm. Superman, mm-hmm. along with, you know, Dr. Manhattan. And- yeah, that's happening. And you even see the uh, poor little kid that had been reading Adventures of the Black Freighter. And his um, he's dead as long as the uh, newspaper stand guy trying to cover him up and mm-hmm. shield him. But mm-hmm. that didn't work out. So he's gone, and then they're just standing, and you've got Blue Deck, John, marveling at these tachyons. He's like, I didn't see this happening. This is so exciting. And Laurie is like, what the hell, John? They look at all this death and destruction. Uh-huh. He's like, yes, but I wasn't expecting yeah. this. It is so cool. Because he hasn't been surprised well, in a long time. That makes sense, though. Yeah. Yeah, because he's, he's surprised. He's like, he lives. It's amazing. In, in, in the past, present, and future, and like there's a scene where he's talking with her outside the Antarctic base, and mm-hmm. he mentions, "Oh, I'm explaining this to Warshak 90 seconds from now." And then when he sees Warshak, he's like, "Oh, I'm telling uh-huh. Lori 90 seconds ago." Mm-hmm. You know, that's for him. It's such a novel, new experience because he and he hasn't had that in so long. And like they're like, "Oh, you know, you're acting like you're kind of drunk." He's like, "Yeah, because like I'm not in my normal space right now." And then. But in the end, he leaves and goes to a different galaxy to make new life because mankind uh-huh. bores him, which is now been retconned into people thinking that he's created the new 52. Mm. Yeah. And he's the reason for that, and... Uh, I need to read those books. There's a few of them. Well, the uh, the, 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 Doomsday the, the Doomsday Clock. Clock. Yes. But uh, that's that's not been 100% confirmed, but that's what pretty much the implication is. That's why the new 52 happened, is because Dr. Manhattan went into the DC Universe... Uh, as it was being fixed from Flashpoint, and then he's like, "Well, I need to fix things and play God." Couldn't just be happy with his big old blue dick. He's gotta, he's gotta go fuck things up. <laughs> yes, he does. Why not? Blue balls is a major but, problem. You gotta fuck some shit up. That's right. So it's twelve issues for this book, and I really found the ending very satisfying and open-ended mm-hmm. enough that it was is the perfect thing. So as I said earlier, the protagonist is Rorschach. Mm-hmm. The whole story starts out with him writing in his journal, and yet he dies before the book ends, and that's one of the no-nos. And so mm-hmm. you have Alan Moore totally 
trouncing on it's like oh the protagonist has to make it to the end i mean it's kind of hamletish this way mm-hmm. and he's doing a good job and yet his story and his, his implication of him still lives on and his uh, he will not um, he's got to live by your principles man well i i like that he's the only one that's that's like no I'm gonna tell people uh-huh. I'm not is... for the fuck you. That's right. Night, night, night. Owl and Silk Spectre are like, eh, okay, we see your point, but he's like, fuck you. I'm going to tell them, and Doctor Manhattan's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna. You're gonna have to kill me. And then, boom, Doctor Manhattan kills him. Right. But in the end, they still have his journal anyway, so they know that Oz- Ozymandias was at least behind everything up until they, you know, went to the base. And I'm pretty sure they can figure. Smart people could figure out after the fact that... Whether or not he's believed or not. Or, and it's a yeah. story sent in by a crank. No, no, no I'm saying absolutely smart true. people could could probably piece things together after the fact that, oh, Ozymandias is probably responsible for this big thing killing half of New York mm-hmm. as well. So, but yeah, John disappears. Um, life seems to go on, and it's the approaching utopia, but it is based off of a lie. Yeah. And... Is that okay? And that really becomes the question here, and some people are good with it being based off of lie, and even, yeah, others are not. Well, there's something, speaking of the lie, there's something interesting that's said in here, and and it's Ozymandias quoting someone else, and I can't remember who it is. Oh, I think, it was, yeah, I think he's actually quoting Hitler. And he says, the public will, says something effective, the public will believe a lie as long as it's big enough. Yeah, that's, I that's feel like that point. is a very interesting statement about our current state in general. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, there's crazy shit going on, and you're like, you wouldn't believe this, but then there are people who do because it's a big enough, crazy enough lie that people are like, well, that has to be true, right? Like, that's that mm-hmm. is what it is. You know, it's so out there. How can it be anything else? But they want to say it if it's that nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. This is twelve issues, and some writers would have made it twenty four or forty eight. And in some ways, you could have told it in six between the. Uh, Black Freighter mm-hmm. and some other things, some absolute direct linear storylines, really about seven issues worth, mm-hmm. I would say. And but I think it was really masterfully done, mm-hmm. and it elevated this. Uh, people talk about as comic books art, or is it just this pulpy, poppy, disposable thing? And this, as much as anything, proves it can push you and think about things in a new way. It's amazing. I think it does. I think the biggest, the best thing that this book does is it raises the graphic, you know, uh, novel. And and the thing is, every time someone says, oh, you read graphic novels, I'm like, no, I read comic books because I feel like the term graphic novel is too pretentious. You know what I mean? Like well, and, and, it is hoity-toity. Yeah. And I also hate that this, like in the previews, it's like, you know, the, the best-selling graphic novel of all time. No, a graphic novel mm-hmm. to me is something that was printed only as a graphic yeah. novel. This was printed as 12 issues and right, yeah, yeah. into mm-hmm. a collection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also agree with that philosophy, but I will say, using the term graphic novel, because it is a semi-pretentious piece, at least it elevates that art form, you know what I mean? Like, I think this book, um, as a cornerstone of sort of the future of comic books, takes comic books from what could be always just sort of pushed aside as child's play and... You know, silly work, which we all know is, I mean, not really what the case is. But like, I don't, I, I can think you can see direct lines as to where books we've loved, such as Saga and Wicked and the Divine, wouldn't exist without this changing comic books. You know what I mean? Um, they, or, or at least they would be different. And I, I think we, I mean, I think 
as much as Alan Moore annoys the shit out of me, I think that there's a lot to be said that I don't think comic books would be in the state that they are that I enjoy. Because, I mean, the stuff that I enjoy most of the time, personally, is I read the stuff that's from more independent publishers and from Vertigo and more story-driven and artist, like artist and writer-driven rather than, you know, hero character-driven. That's just my personal preferences. But I don't think that that would be... I don't think that would be as strong of a art form um, if it wasn't for this book. I just don't think it would exist as much. Um, my maybe could say if I'm right or wrong on that, but that's the feeling I get off of that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if I was like totally talking so, out of right, And even in, like, in serialized form, I mean, you've got Les Miserables was originally serialized. Well, and, in I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. You and I were talking about this. I mean, uh, earlier that uh, Tale of Two Cities was originally serialized. And so, I mean, I think, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, just because it was originally serialized does not necessarily make it not a novel. I mean, for that, part of the argument because mm-hmm. i mean like most of the urge uh, early sherlock works were originally serialized i mean there's a lot of books at the time that were originally serialized um that was a way of the writer making money while they're still writing the novel you know it was, it was just a way for them to survive yeah. it's one of those things i think is interesting that it's it's not necessarily unique to comics although people think that it is unique to comics you know what i mean it's been going on for a lot longer i think the thing that I mean, just talking about comics in general, I think one of the things that comics has going for it that you don't see in other fiction anymore is you used to have literary magazines and people would write short fiction that would show up in you know magazines that people would work. And so the short story still existed and had a strong base. I don't see mm-hmm. short stories as much, but you still see interesting short stories and short runs of, of stories in comics, but you don't see that in magazines or literature like you used to. Like it's it's one of the last bastions of, of that art form in, in a certain respect. I know the short story still exists, but as far as being published, you don't see it as easily accessible um, as it used to be. My, my two cents on artsy fartsy talking about writers, you know? That's, mm, yeah. That's as pretentious as I'll get for a little while. Well, uh, does anybody else have any other thoughts, or do we want to get into final votes? I don't think we're going to go with final votes. Go yeah. away. Okay. Jamie, school is never a waste of time. Since we have 15 minutes until recess, please put down your pencils and stare at the front of the room. It's report card time. It's report card time. It's report card time. So fucking fun. God, please, no! 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 Cool. Well, then let's jump into our final votes. Uh, after a month long reading this book, uh, there's a lot to take into consideration here. Uh, but so we always start out with uh, for writing for uh, Mr. Crazy Wizard Beard himself, Alan Moore. What is your vote, or what is your grade, sorry, Mr. Maya? Uh, I'm going to give it an A, which I think this is almost probably the only Alan Moore book I would give that to. Yeah. Um, this book has, has a special place in my heart. I, I love how deep it gets and, and you know, exploring. It's, it's the deconstruction of the superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, do, do we need superheroes? Do we need someone watching over us, making those decisions? Uh, even if we don't know about them. <laughs> Sorry, Josie, I just kicked my cat. Uh, <laughs> you, mean? you know, making those decisions, making decisions greater than us uh, for our good without us knowing. And yeah, no, I'd absolutely give it an A. Todd, what is your vote or grade? Sorry. I give this an A as well when it comes to the writing. I mean, he was weaving two to three to four different things going on at the same time. Everything was tight and he filled the 12 issues and there was hardly any fluff in there at all. So it was quite enjoyable and it was um, very layered and structured. So yeah, I give it an A. 
Uh, yeah, I'm also going to give it an A and just a little addition that I'll throw on that uh, from what Todd has had to say. Uh, you also pointed out like the, the way that the Black Freighter lines up with the story, and the Black Freighter still has its own story going on, but lines up and juxtaposes what's going on. I found it a little confusing, but I also find it kind of really brilliant. I, I, I wish I could read the Black Freighter by itself and then the Watchmen stuff by itself and then and see... And, and then and then start and go back and so I can get all those stories together and then go see how they piece together it would be um, something I would just personally appreciate and enjoy but I think it is something fairly interesting uh, and Mr. Adam what is your grade uh, I'm also with an A I mean this as we said before this is why Alan Moore is so highly regarded in the comic community uh, for uh, writing this masterpiece and there's there's so mm-hmm. much depth there's so many layers there's so much political intrigue. There's so much commentary about philosophy and human life and I mean, everything else. I and mean, we spent a whole month doing this one book. And as we stated earlier, I mean, a couple episodes ago, you would easily do a college dissertation on this book, just on mm-hmm. it alone as far as everything going on. So for being so nuanced and multilayered and just incredibly deep and full of everything, it's it's, it's fantastic. So it, it took us a long, long time to get to it. We spent a long time breaking it down. Uh, but I really, really do agree that the way we approach this book is the way you should do it, is take it at small chunks at a time, read three issues at a time, and then spend a day or two digesting what you saw and read, and maybe going back and revisiting things, because there's so much here that you can get out of it, and it's just it's a vastly important and incredible book. So, continue on with that thought. Our grades for Mr. Gibbons. Adam, what's your thoughts? I'm only going to go with an A as well. I mean, we, we talked about some of the, the tricks he pulled where certain issues were, like, all the panels were an X, or they were backwards, or they were a mirror image of each other. Uh, there's so much going on, and as much as the writing takes forefront because it's there's so much with that, the artwork itself is stunning and really set the bar for pretty much comics that we've had for the last 30 years. It's, it's, mm-hmm. It was that important of a book and it was done that well. Uh, Mr. Maya. Uh, I'm also, I'm, I'm at an A, uh, given, giving both an A, um, just because, you, you know, this, the majority of the book is told through a nine panel grid. You do have, you know, some pages that kind of break from that. You have the, the, like the Rorschach issue that, uh, Adam mentioned that goes, you know, it's the same backwards as it is forward. There's just so much detail and love put into this book. And I just want to mention also the colorist, John Higgins, did a fantastic job with, you know, keeping the mood and the tone of the book as well. I, I, I don't think I ever get tired of looking at some of these panels of Dr. Manhattan just because, like, the color blue that he is makes him pop, I think, more than anything else. In, in like panels that he's in like it, it kind of makes him stand out and uh no i absolutely love it hey who is it on that side who bought like the new fancy version with the updated color on it uh that was me i got the, yeah. the absolute edition that's that's kind of like the big oversized version that was recolored yeah i'm kind of tempted to get that because i i like the art but i would like to see it recolored you know what i mean i, I think that'd just be interesting todd what is your grade for art also an a from dave gibbons i mean as amazing as alan moore is and he gets the credit I think this though this was a one-two punch, which really made it sing because they were both firing at all cylinders. With everything that was put in, yes, it was written probably on the page by Alan Moore, but the execution was top-notch. There's not many news stories anymore. It's all about execution. And Gibbons' execution was a masterclass. Well, I was going to say, you can say, yeah, it's written on the page by, by Alan Moore, but the interpretation... Yes. Mm-hmm. ...was really brought forth, and how much creative freedom it came to when they really just went back and forth and the T 
teamwork. I mean, both names are on this comic book. It's not just Alan Moore's Watchmen. It's Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen. And he deserves every ounce of credit that Alan Moore gets. Yeah, no, I I will also give it an A, and I think you're right. I I think with a lesser artist, this might not have been as good. And I think uh, to compare it to maybe film, you can have a brilliant script, but uh, if it's, you know, directed by Steven Spielberg, it's definitely going to turn out better than if it was directed by, you know, some high school student who just barely got a video camera from their mom last week. You know what I mean? Like there are Eli Roth. Yeah. I mean, uh, depending on the content, I feel like there's some stuff Eli Roth might do well though, actually. You know what I mean? Like, sure. He could but, do well. But yeah. He's not the like, guy. Yeah. He's not like, like you don't want ET made by Eli Roth. You know what I mean? Like that's not going to work. <laughs> However, on the flip side, you, may not want a horror movie made by Steven Spielberg, although he did make Jaws, so he could and actually Jurassic do something. Park? And Jurassic he Park? Poltergeist and pretty much do Poltergeist? He produced it. No, yeah. no, oh no, he pretty much directed it, wasn't it? He actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, you might know the answer to this. I thought that for some reason, like, he had like a non-compete clause with like Universal, so he could only direct one movie a year. So he directed Poltergeist, but had a different director on site and gave them credit for it. Uh, um, it was he Toby, actually, Toby Hooper. Yeah, Toby was Hooper, the right? Um, there's there's a lot of discussion about who actually directed that movie. Uh, basically, the the word of mouth was that Spielberg was on set and actually did most of the directing because Toby Hooper was at a loss for what to do. It, it's all urban legend. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, obviously Toby Hooper is still the the credited director, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of hearsay that says that Spielberg actually did the lion's share of that, that movie. So yeah, that movie feels more Spielberg than it feels Toby Hooper though. You know what I mean? Comparing it to, uh, the OG, um, Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Poltergeist does not feel like Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It feels closer to ET. Okay. Well then final grades. I'm sure we'll all be shocked by these grades. So, uh, <laughs> Mr. Todd. Oh, um, Hey, I mean, this is the height of the medium. So yeah, it's an absolute A. Uh, I'm going to also go with an A. I enjoyed and appreciated this book much more going back and reading it after I've had more experience with with books. Um, I think my only complaint, and I noticed this, is at the at least on my copy, it says if you've never read a graphic novel, start with Watchmen. I think that is wrong. I think that you <laughs> need to. I, I just disagree with that in general. I feel like it's a it's such a heavy book and there's so much to it to dissect. And I know that even on a, we've we've taken four episodes to go through it and I know there's stuff that we've missed. And you know, we might we might come back to this in another hundred episodes and redo it again just so that we can try to catch everything again. I don't know. But there's a lot to this book. It is the granddaddy of them all. And so yeah, so it's it's really good. Uh, but I do I do feel like I, I read it early on when I started reading comics and then I read it again now, you know, with more years than I really want to talk about with comics under my belt. And mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely makes a difference having that experience with superheroes and the tropes there's and maybe just the personal maturity as well this is not a book for teenagers this is a book for uh for sort of slightly disgruntled middle-aged men to be honest with you so um speaking of which adam what's your grade um i'm, I'm gonna go with a as well i mean this is fantastic there's a reason why it's known as the quote-unquote greatest graphic novel of all time and what i love about the fact is that while this is very much a product of the 80s with the cold war and everything else going on it still manages to be just as timely and fresh today as it was 30 years ago. And mm-hmm. we've had many discussions on this podcast about comics from the same era that we read now. I'm like, yeah, this is dated as fuck. Like, it yeah. Damn the test of time. Uh, this one still does. And it's, mm-hmm. I think, 100 years from now, if humans are still here, you know, because <laughs> of everything else going on, uh, we're still going to look back and see and be pulling new things out of it and seeing new dynamics that we we haven't noticed and it's still going to hold up just as strong 
for our great great grandchildren as it is for us so mm-hmm. I, I sometimes wonder, this is just a total side note, I sometimes wonder if this holds up more because it's in an alternate reality rather than, quote-unquote, our actual reality, because it is a, it's an obvious different version of 1980s and different version of time as we know it with, you know, that. I wonder if that helps keep it relevant. I think it absolutely does, because it's not like any of those idiosyncrasies that he guessed or might have gotten wrong. Type of mm-hmm. deal and it doesn't take you out of it. It's like, oh, Nixon's been president for term number four now, so this is a different kind of place, and yeah. we don't get caught up in, oh, look what he got wrong. It's this is an alternate yeah. reality, and we can just move forward with it. Um, speaking of that, I didn't, I totally didn't remember in this book. So remember in Doomsday Clock when they're mm-hmm. talking about President Redford, right? Robert and Redford. it's him in the end of this that he's yeah, thinking yeah, the president. I was right, like, holy shit. A, actor with the initials R.R. Redding for president, and it had Robert Redford in this one instead of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and Maya, what is your final grade? Uh, absolutely an A. To me, it's a perfect book. There's nothing that I dislike about this book. You know, every time I read it, I catch something new or think about something a little differently that, uh, yeah, no, this... To me, this is a perfect book. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I My only thing is I just am so fucking sick of Alan Moore thinking that you have to get high to understand <laughs> anything. It's just like this weird thing that just annoys me. Uh, okay, cool. Does anybody else have anything before we put this to bed? Yeah, I was just going to say, I just looked this up. Uh, the Absolute Edition that I have, the big oversized one, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it retails for $99.99, but uh, shit. In Stock Trades has it for $57.99. Okay. And that's because that it is... is a giant, but let me see if they have the dimensions here. They don't. But it is a, uh, Todd and Adam can, can attest, mm-hmm. it is a giant book. Yeah. It's a tome. Yes, it is. Well, do we want to jump into recommendations? Uh, actually, before that, I was going to bring up yeah. the... Uh, we have our books that we drew for the March Madness. Uh, uh, okay, I was going to do those after recommendations, but yeah, go oh, ahead. Next week, we'll be doing Star Wars Tag and Bank, We're Here. Um, I just want to let you know that if you want to read along with us, uh, you'll have to go to Amazon and buy it digitally. Uh, it's five bucks, because if you want to find a, an... in a, a physical copy of it it is way out of print and is running like a hundred oh, yeah. bucks oh plus yeah um but it's like five it's no longer part of the canon technically and all that uh, sort of stuff none of that stuff really was part of the canon but yeah uh tag and bink is a fun book uh it's basically like uh yeah that's exactly how i described it to todd i'm like it's rosencrantz and gildenstern yeah. in star wars <laughs> Because uh, I started reading it, and it's like you have fun little moments where like they're hiding in a corner, and you look behind them, and Princess Leia is you know talking to C three PO and recording her not C three PO R two D two and recording her mm-hmm. uh, video to send to Luke or to um, Obi Wan. There's like a little. I mean, I haven't finished it. I just started it, but uh, it has some fun stuff in it already. And they're they're just bumbling idiots. It's it's a fun book. After that, our 100th episode will be doing Superman's Secret Identity. Uh, these these other three books that I'm going to mention are in print. Yes. But Superman's Secret Identity is an awesome book written by Kurt Busiek, uh, drawn by, oh gosh, I'm blanking. Hang Emojin on. or something like that? Emo? Uh, Stuart, Emo? It was Stuart Eminem. Yeah, okay. It's basically in a world where, in a world, uh, a world. Super, superheroes don't exist. And this, this kid is reading comic books and, you know, he loves Superman and, and his parents named him Clark Kent. Well, their last name was Kenton, their name been Clark, and come to find out that he actually is an alien that crash-landed on Earth and 
has powers like Superman, and it's uh, it's a really cool book. After that is X-Men God Loves, Man Kills, which I've never read before, but it does deal with... I, I know it's what introduced um, William Stryker as a villain to the X-Men, um, which, if you've seen X-Men 2, he is nothing like William Stryker in X-Men 2, other than hate, hating uh, a mutant-hating bigot. He's a uh-huh. preacher that basically leads an anti-mutant religion. And then our fourth book from March Madness is Supergirl by Peter David, book one. And it's just uh, also drawn by Gary Frank, who's doing Doomsday Clock right now. Uh, awesome. Well, then, yeah, so that's what we're starting out with. Tagamink. And for those of you who are wondering, that is not the order we drew them out at, but we moved them around because I felt like... For our 100th episode, it was fitting to do a Superman book since he is the OG superhero. Doing a Superman book for our 100th makes sense to me. And a month so. later, Action Comics will be the first American superhero book to hit a thousand issues. Yes, that's also and, true. Are they canceling that soon? <laughs> um, and I do say it like that because it is not the first comic book to hit a thousand issues. Uh, no, there's 2000, some British stuff. Two, two, right. 2000 AD in the UK is a weekly book and. Uh, mm-hmm. They're in, like, issue 2500 or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, you get your Drudge Dread from. Oh, okay. And now it's time for recommendations. That time in the show where the panel tells you all the crap they are currently into, but will forget about as soon as they see something shiny. You're a stamp tramp. How dare you? And what is that? You give your stamp of approval to everything. It's become meaningless. Why can't you be more like your wife? Lily's stamp is gold. I'm reading this book because of her. I'm drinking this beer because she recommended it. I'm even wearing this bra because of a lingerie store Lily told me about. Awesome. Uh, Well, then I'm going to jump in with recommendations. Uh, my recommendation is a Netflix comedy special by a comedian named Neil Brennanen, B-R-E-N-N-A-N. It's called Three Mics is his special. And uh, what it is is uh, one microphone is all just one-liners. Uh, the middle microphone is all sort of like true confession, uh, one man story kind of like one man show kind of stories. And then the third mic is a, um, a stand-up comedy and he alternates between the three. Um, so, and it's, it's a very well-produced show. It's really polished really well. He's a relatively unknown comic, but he's actually, actually uh pretty fucking rich because he ended up becoming a co-writer with a little known um comedian named dave chappelle and he also um wrote and directed several of his films and of course the chappelle show uh so his friends he makes a a reference in there that uh, his friends call him the benjamin button of comedy where he got rich first and then went back to stand-up comedy but just um the way the show is lined up uh the way he does it it's very it's funny, it's brilliant, um, it's heartfelt, it's touching. It's just all around, just a, a great piece of art, no, like, all around. And I was, I found myself highly impressed by it. Um, I told Jess, like, you gotta check this out. And she watched it and loved it. It's, I, I highly recommend it, um, but it's just, it's a really interesting comedy special. It's not, it's not typical from other things you've seen uh but it's yeah it was really great and i liked it a lot so uh that's my recommendation uh maya do you have a recommendation uh i'm gonna share with adam adam gave his earlier but uh i'll I'll let him take it here because that's what i was gonna recommend as well Okay, Adam, what are what is you and Maya's recommendation? Um, so as we record this, this is the weekend that uh, Black Panther hit theaters, and it is I've seen it twice now. I saw it with Maya and all the great people from Doctor Volts on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dave, for Thanks, Dave. doing that for us. Uh, it's it's absolutely stunning. It's magnificent. It is up there with it's easily my top five Marvel movies of all time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
because because <laughs> radio is such a, a visual medium. Uh, no, it's I, I've never really been a big Black Panther fan. I mean, we read the, the book a couple of weeks ago. I enjoyed it, but I was never that big into the character. We kind of get an introduction in Captain America Civil War. But what's so great is this, it's, it's such a rich and wonderfully developed story. I love the fact that they mainly stay in Wakanda for most of the movie. And interestingly enough, Black Panther, the character of, of uh, T'Challa actually in the, the costume, is in like two scenes in the movie. Like it's, 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 it's more about these people and this culture and everything going on and it's absolutely brilliant it's wonderful it's if this doesn't go up for uh costume design next year at the academy awards then someone's smoking something that they're not sharing with me uh yeah. it's fantastic go see it it's breaking every single record under man it's it's now beat out deadpool as the number one opener uh in february it's it's gorgeous it's wonderful and stay through the whole credits because there is a, a mid and an after credit scene that does kind of tie back into uh, the MCU, but it's it's stunning. I mean, it made me cry twice. There's a there's a very very poignant line uh, that Michael B. Jordan gives towards the end of the movie that just utterly destroys me, and it's it's, it's fantastic. It's it's him, Yango, Chadwick Boseman, the Nigra. Yeah, every, There's not a bad thing about this movie. There really isn't a moment that isn't that's wasted or is tacked on. It's just as long as it needs to be, it's it's fantastic. Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett. He's yeah. Forrest yeah, <laughs> Whitaker. He's yeah. so nice, by the way. Did I ever tell you about the time I worked with him? No. no. Yes. Fucking dude. Um, I mic'd him for a, a graduation speech that he was doing, um, and he came up like he showed up, and I was putting a mic on him, and he goes, he goes, "Are you mixing as well?" I said, "Yeah, I am." And he goes, "I'm really soft-spoken. I know I am. I'm really sorry." I said, "It's fine. I'll take care of it." And, and but he was just like he knew that he doesn't talk very loud, and he was apologetic of it. It was fine. He was actually it was totally easy, and he was really easy to deal with. A very nice, very professional guy. Like it was just I was I just met him. It was like he was really nice. So anyway, I have a great deal of respect for him, even after meeting him. He like which sometimes when you meet celebrities, you suddenly think uh, they're kind of an asshole. But he's uh, he was really great. So anyway, there's my two cents on that. Uh, Mr. Todd, what is your recommendation? I don't know if I did this last week or not. I don't think so. Um, Artemis by Andy Weir is a book I've been listening to on Audible. It takes place on the moon, and Andy Weir also wrote The Martian. Yeah, which so, is really good. Yeah, The Martian's amazing. This is his follow-up. I'm enjoying it. The uh, protagonist is the name of Jazz, and she's about an 18-year-old um, recovering Muslim Saudi that moved to the moon when she was six and hijinks ensue as they do. Thoroughly enjoying that. So if you like The Martian, um, yeah, the Artemis. It's comparable because I love The Martian. So I, I, I'm enjoying it. It's a little bit of a different vibe going on. So he's okay. not trying to do exactly the same thing twice, which is a good thing. Yeah, but like I mean, if it's if it's the readability of it, like that was the thing about the Martian was, it was so readable. Like everyone I know mm-hmm. who read the Martian, read it in like two days, which was sort of the same as um, uh, Ready Player One. Everyone I know started reading it, yeah. got really into it, read it in two days, and was like and like just devoured it. And that's how I felt about the Martian. So, I'm curious if it, if it kind of fills that same and like level i'm totally in so it's not quite to that level i will say this but it's fairly enjoyable it's kind of the opposite of a tale of two cities uh that fucking book (laughs) god damn it (laughs) whatever and if you want to and if you want to hear them gripe about a tale of two cities you can listen to english class hooligans well we will not swear 
Yeah, that episode will come out at the end of March. So, uh, is it going to be hard to talk about that book without swearing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have some I serious an- annoyance with that book. Experience swear words. Yeah, it's Mueling uh, Quim. Mueling yeah. Quim. <laughs> <laughs> if that's about it, then we will uh, see you all next week for episode 99. Uh, oh, which, damn. 99? Uh, yep, Tag and Binks, uh, <laughs> we're here. Uh, yeah, as Maya said, you can find it on Comixology for five bucks, uh, which is most definitely the way to go about getting it. Also, Comixology is yes. not a bad way of reading books. I, I still like the tactile experience, but uh, when it's... Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I kind of enjoy having every book we've read on the show in a physical copy, but this might be the one that just doesn't happen. So you can get Tag and Bink or Absolute Watchmen Retail. Pretty much, yeah. Absolute, Absolute, and if you get Absolute Watchmen on in-stock trades, it's like half the cost of Tag and Bink. That's, That's right. Um, you know, Marvel's been reprinting a lot of the Dark Horse Star Wars stuff recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we eventually did just get Tag and Bank reprinted. Well, and to be honest with you, every time we've done a book that's been like that expensive online, it's been published shortly after. Like when we did the Hikatea, it was ridiculously Which expensive I love, to buy. But I'm glad I've got it. Yeah, I'm glad I got it too. But we bought these like hardbound editions that were hard to find, and then like two weeks later, they published, uh, like they republished the book. So. I wouldn't be shocked if it comes out in the near future. That is true thing. Yep. Yes. Cool. Thank you much. We'll see you next week uh, with uh, Tag and Bink, and we'll get our Star Wars on. See ya. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.